2: Welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. I am Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. If you'd like to send me an email, exxon at X-Zone TV.com and all social media sites, Radio TV, Our website, exxonradiotv.com and for all the programming we have available for you, 724-365 on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. My guest this hour is Rosalind Byrne, and her life changed profoundly six years ago when she fell off a horse. Since then, she has written two books on human-equine communication and has a growing clientele as as an equine empath, facilitating communication, awareness, and healing between horses and their human companions. As a university professor and scholar, Rosalind explores the creative spaces between the realms of technology, science, and myth and Between the Human and Non-Human Worlds. She writes and teaches about engineering and technology in society, and the ethical implications of interspecies communication for technological development. Rosalind is the author of two academic books, a science fiction novel, several sci-fi short stories, and many academic papers. Her book, When the Horse, Whisper, when the Horse Whisperer, recounts the emergence of her gift to communicate with horses, its sequel, Walking to Beauty, is an autobiographical uh, exploration of Roslyn's spiritual journey, including her encounters with a mare named Beauty and a, st- a stallion named Guano. Joining me now is Roslyn Byrne. Her website is www.rosalindbyrne.com. And Rosalind, welcome to the x
1: Thank you, Rob, for having me on your show.
2: Hey, it's great having you, Rosalind. Um, you are a very... Very interesting, lady. You have a PhD, and you, know, you have a PhD. You're a professor in the field of science, technology, and society at the University of Virginia, and you use your per, uh, perceptual gifts and empathic intuition in working with horses and their human companions. How did it, have you always been a horse lover? Uh,
1: well, yes, but I wasn't uh, of a background where we were. Um, I could be uh, actually ride them. I mean, I grew up in inner city Philadelphia, and um, I I probably was about 12 when my, 11, when my parents sent me to a summer camp, and there were horses there, and that's when I fell in love with them. My goodness. Camp camp was over, I went home to the inner city, and we didn't have the funds for anything involving horses. That's the end of that, except for my fantasy life.
2: And yet, here you are today, the lady that you are, writing about horses and and working with people and horses. Did you ever imagine in your wildest dreams that you would be doing what you're doing today?
1: Well, absolutely not. I don't know where I would have come up with such a thing.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was, you know, busy teaching, doing my scholarship sure. writing, and uh, suddenly this happened. It was quite unpredictable. Um, life-changing, but not something I had imagined. No, Rob, I can't say I did.
2: Um, is there a bond between the equine and their humans?
1: Well, yes, I believe that's absolutely the case. And I believe that that there's a bond between um, most domesticated animals Mm -hmm. and humans. In some ways, it almost seems as if I'm going to venture to say on a soul level, these animals have agreed to be with us and support our lives. Just think about all the ways that horses and dogs in particular have made our lives
2: possible. It seems that there is a working bond, but there is something that has yet to be identified in this in this relationship that we share with certain animals.
1: I think that's right, and I think that we're coming into a time when it's unfolding. More and more people are recognizing mm-hmm. and talking about the profound bond that we have. Dogs and horses are being... Um, you know, put into service to help us yeah. to heal and be well, not just to protect us and work for us, but actually to be companions to us. And it really does make a huge difference in people's recovery and state of life.
2: Rosalind, please stand by. We've got to take a commercial break. ExoNation Rosalind Byrne is our special guest, www.rosalynberne.com. And Rosalind and I will be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the exome from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. Exonation nation Rosalind Byrne is our special guest. www.rosalindburn.com. And Rosalind, what happened in Costa Rica when you fell off a horse into a river?
1: Yeah, well, uh, it was pretty pretty much of a shock. I was with a with a tour group. I was the last to cross the river Arenal. Mm-hmm. and I, all of a sudden, I just was under the water, and I could I could see the water rushing over my my head, and it wasn't terribly deep. Maybe. Th- at any rate, when I climbed uh, out of the water, the horse looked back at me with trepidation. And anybody would, ab- would have been able to interpret his his facial expression. He was pretty horrified. And I just pat him on the butt. And I, his name was Titan. I said, "Don't worry, Titan. I'm fine." So um, we we rested on the other side of the river. I got back on the horse to ride back with the group to end our day, mm-hmm. and I started hearing him and. It was sort of like inside of my own inner ear somehow. And he said, nobody's ever fallen off of me before. I can't believe that happened. Are you okay? Am I going to be in trouble? My job is to take care of people. And I didn't take care of you. I'm going to be in trouble, aren't I? And I heard it word for word. And I responded. I'm okay, Teton. I told you I'm fine. That was my fault, not yours. I must have slipped. Of course you won't be in trouble. Don't worry about me. I'm fine. So we almost were back. I could see the barn up ahead. Mm-hmm. I did not know any of the people that I was with. They were all tourists, and the, the owner of this place, her name was Debbie. I could see the barn, and then I hear Teton say, You can actually hear me, can't you? And I said, Yeah, I can understand and hear you. He said, Well, I need your help then. Would you please help me? And I said, of course, I'll help you. What can I do? He said, please tell Debbie she's wrong about me. I don't need to go back for more training. I just need a break now and then. So I waited till everybody else left. I got off of my horse, Teton, put my tack away, went up to Debbie, this owner, and I introduced myself and said, "Um, I have a message for you from your horse. And, you know, she gave me a funny look, of course. I told her what he said, and then I left and went back to my cabin. And that evening at dinner, um, she came up to me in the um, community dining facility, and she said, I need for you to explain to me how you know about that. I said, I don't understand what you're asking me. And she said, how do you know about what Teton told you? There's no way you could possibly know that for the last two weeks, the stableman and I have been talking about sending him back for more training. How do you know? And that's where it began, Rob. Wow. That's where it began. Uh,
2: Let me ask you this, and please don't take this question the wrong way, but did you ever think that you might have hit your head or had a concussion or some other kind of damage that you know made you think you might have been hearing this horse talk to you?
1: Well, it didn't occur to me um, because I didn't feel any pain. And actually, what's so fascinating to me about the experience Mm. is Something did happen when I fell off that horse. um, Because when I stood up, I was laughing for joy. Wow. And I was alone there, Rob. I I was alone in Costa Rica. I was there to finish writing my sci-fi novel, but I was also grieving the end of a 30-year marriage, and I just needed some time alone. Mm -hmm. And so to have this sort of shock, uh, sort of this jolt of joy flowing from me, I was laughing for joy, and so yeah, something happened. But it wasn't a concussion; it was some kind of, of of shift. And I I don't understand it scientifically, but as an experience, I can say I had never quite felt that way before.
2: Did you have any communication with any other horse in Costa Rica?
1: Well, so here's what happened. So I told Debbie. Yeah. Well. I found out because Teton told me. And so then she came to me the next morning at breakfast. I was leaving that day and Mm -hmm. she said, could you please talk to another horse? Because I'm having a lot of trouble with her and maybe you can figure it out. And I explained to her, I don't talk to horses. That just happened. I can't. I can't do anything about this for you. I'm so sorry. And she persisted. She said, could you please try? It's really important to me. This is my favorite horse. It's the first horse we got when we came here from the U.S. We might have to get rid of her. I don't know what else to do. Could you please try? So lo and behold, I went down to the stable and I was able to hear her and she was asking to be put, um, she actually showed me, shared a vision of a field, and she was asking to be left there alone for a while because she said she needed to take care of something, and she kept showing me her belly. Hmm. Well, they did put her in that field alone. Of course, I, I went home, and then I got a call a few weeks later from Debbie saying, I just want you to know it turns out that Hitana, that horse, was pregnant, and, but, it was the, but there was something wrong with the fetus and she lost the baby oh. in the pasture. So what happened was that the, the horse had been acting, acting up because she needed to focus on her unborn and she mm. wanted to be left alone to do that because she knew that something was wrong. So that was really um, sort of a, a, an eye-opener for me to get that phone call and that's when I realized that a gift had come and I needed to take it seriously. Mm.
2: Do you think it's possible that you had this gift before, but for no, some reason so. that this event of falling off the horse in Costa Rica was the was the catalyst?
1: I think so, because when I reflect on my early years as a child, and I write mm-hmm. about this in the sequel, of Waking to Beauty... I reflect on it it's like well yes because when i was oh three years old um as my mother tells it, i was talking to uh what we would refer to as ghosts and talking to telling my grandparents and my mother about and father about beings that were in the in my grandparents home and and they didn't even know the existence of these people and then later on found out yes the woman died in the in the basement in the fire as you say Mm. and so yeah i think that that since childhood there has been a capacity to sort of reach beyond the immediate realm of this dimension if you want to call it or this immediate physical world that we have um and over the years um i had those experiences they they tended to go away as i got older uh but i think that maybe i did come to this life with them with that with with that capacity yes
2: you know i i remember as a child watching a show called mr ed and I'm just wondering if there was any similarity between your connection with with these horses as there was with Wilbur and Mr. Ed.
1: I loved that show, but you're dating me. <laughs> I ran home to make sure I watched every episode, episode of mm. Mr. Ed, and I don't know why it spoke to me so deeply. It wasn't just a comedy for me. I was, I don't know, nine years old. Mm. I actually really got it um, about the relationship between is um the way they portrayed it in the show um you know wilbur m- moved his sure. mouth you yeah. know i mean mr ed moved his mouth and said wilbur and then actually <laughs> talked. Um, but how else can you do it for a tv show how else exactly. can you actually uh, show that there's communication when i am communicating with a horse it's totally silent it's something that we're doing i get sensations and images and i hear words and then i interpret what i'm hearing for the person i'm working with Wow. But if you recall, Wilbur was, he wanted to keep it a secret. He was he was embarrassed and, and ashamed about it because uh, clearly back in those days, I suppose, um, we would have been seen
2: as, as not well. You are a scientist. You are an educator. How do you explain or is there any explanation for how it is possible for a human and a horse to communicate?
1: Well, truth in advertising. I do teach in an engineering school, but I teach ethics, and okay. I'm trained actually um, as in the humanities, uh, in religious studies. Mm-hmm. However, that being said, I study engineers and I study scientists, and so I have just you know a little bit of understanding of the scientific method and, and how you go about understanding what is. You know, I, I don't know. I've talked to some cognitive scientists about this. I've talked to biologists about this. Um, it could be that there is a part of the brain that interprets um, before language, before words are formed into language. And I'm wondering if somehow we connect uh, in that way. We're learning much, much more about how species um, communicate across the boundaries of species we're learning that about plants yes. we're learning about animals about mm-hmm. fungi especially that fungus communicates with the roots of trees and the mother tree which determines from the fungus like almost a computer network where to send nutrients and so more and more we understand that it's possible to cross the boundaries of species and communicate um, horses though they don't have language but we must possibly share Something in our cerebral cortex, something in our, or somewhere in the brain, mm-hmm. maybe not there, that allows us to make this connection. And I think that's the way humans have survived for all these millions of years connected to nature because we have learned to listen and understand.
2: How many horses would you say you have communicated with since the, the establishment of this gift?
1: Okay, so I've gone back to that place in Costa Rica Mm -hmm. uh, called Leaves and Lizards. Probably I've gone back 12 times since then and communicated with all of their horses. In fact, the first book I wrote, When the Horses Whisper, is mostly about my conversations with the horses there. So that's about 14 in that herd. And then um, probably I now have met with... um, Oh, about 25 people in Virginia who've brought me to their farms to help them. Mm-hmm. And then last year, my husband and I took a trip to uh, to Kentucky and met some retired racehorses, and I was able to communicate with them. Mm-hmm.
2: So where wow. are we? Up there close to 50 now. Yeah, at least. Like, what is the most common thing horses communicate to you about?
1: Well, that's also the sad part about this work. Um, most of the horses I've spoken with clearly um live uh, uh in private f- private homes mm-hmm. and what happens is horses are bought and sold fairly readily so someone will decide that it's not quite the right horse for their interests. maybe they want a, a better jumper or a better dressage horse or a right. better racehorse and they're bought and sold fairly um uh regularly what most times when i'm brought on and something's wrong the horse often is depressed or they're confused because they had bonded with someone else and were suddenly sold and moved to a new place and they don't understand what happened. And they want oh, me to wow. help them know if they did something wrong and why they'd been moved.
2: That is sad.
1: Yes, it's very sad.
2: Rosalind, stand by, dear. You and I have to take our news break at the bottom of the hour. We'll sure. be right back. ExoNation, Rosalind Vernon is our very special guest. dot roslynburn.com and roslyn and i will be back on the other side of this news break as we continue this fascinating conversation about talking to horses communications with horses and species i i i, I believe in this because there is so much evidence so many people saying that they've communicated with their dogs with uh, other animals horses Let's continue our investigation into this very interesting topic on the other side of this break as we continue from our broadcast centre in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away.
4: and things that were saying.
2: XO Nation, Rosalind Byrne is our special guest for this hour, com. You've never had a horse of your own, I understand, until recently. Tell me about that.
1: Oh yeah. Well, let's let's just say back to that summer camp experience. I was desperate for a horse of my own and very very much wanted one, but it wasn't possible. And then fast forward, oh, let's say forty plus years uh, more, closer to fifty plus <laughs> years, and I am uh, in Richmond, Virginia, at a at a horse rescue facility where I've been asked to come to help a horse named Ruby, who was actually slated to be slaughtered. Um, And they rescued her, and she was not responding to their care. And so I was there to try to help Ruby, and she was um, actually very frightening, um, biting and snipping. And while there, I was talking to a horse named Rain, and up behind me walks a horse named Raven. And I'm trying to focus on Rain, but Raven is right behind me, her head's right at my shoulder, and I hear her say, I'm the horse you've been waiting for for all these years. Take me home, and I will help you deepen your work. Well. And I thought, What? <laughs> Home? I live in in a city house in <laughs> in a tight knit neighbor, tight neighborhood where you can throw a stone at the next house. Where am I supposed to put a horse? Yeah. And he actually so I, I said, I heard you, Raven, but I'm busy trying to talk to Rain. And I got in the car to go home and I could not get her out of my heart and out of my mind. It was like Raven had come with me. Well, I mentioned it to my husband and next thing you know, I'm going to get Raven. (laughs) And we put her uh, in a facility, like a boarding facility I found that was about, oh, 45 minute drive from home. And so I went to see Raven every weekend for about three months. And then I thought, no, I need for you to live with me. We need to be with each other every day. So we sold our home and we moved to the country. And I now live on a horse farm with Raven and guess who else? Ruby, the horse that needed help. And one more named Nash. And this is my new life. Wow. In my late 50s, by the way, <laughs> I have shifted entirely from my urban existence and no familiarity with horses to mucking pastures and feeding and cleaning hooves and you name it, here I am. And my husband very much has joined me in this new venture.
2: So so tell me, you know, what do your horses and you talk about during the day?
1: Well, now this is the problem. You know Uh-oh. that story about the cobbler's children without shoes? Yes. Yeah. So I have a full time job. Plus, I have a farm to take care of, meals to prepare, laundry Uh to do. I am really busy. Yes. And I have not had conversations with my horses with now with one exception. uh, And I wouldn't quite call it a conversation. But one day I stood by the fence and I went into a very deep meditation. And one by one, those horses came and stood right with me at the fence. And it was quite an amazing experience. So there is a sense of connection and understanding, but I'm not hearing them the way I hear horses when I go and I'm hired to go help people with their horses. It's different. And, you know, sort of like, you know, I, I, I don't quite know why, except that um, I haven't taken the time in that way or, or, or I don't know, but mm. I'm not hearing them the way I hear other horses.
2: That's rather strange, isn't it? Because
1: well, I feel guilty yeah. about it. I feel like I'm not allowing them to be with me in the way that is possible because I'm so task oriented when I when I get down there you know when when i go to other people's farms i first i sit in meditation for a while and then i let the horse know my purpose in being there and then i like go into what i call a zone where i can mm-hmm. open up and feel and sense into the horse and then they start talking mm-hmm. sometimes it takes a little while because they don't believe that it's possible that a human can understand them but once they figure it out especially if one starts then the others figure it out they get talkative but i never i i'm always sort of in a hurry hurry. It's like I get down to the barn, I get their feed, I get their, It's like I'm very task oriented and I feel guilty. I feel like I owe them that kind of communicative re- relationship and oh, I'm working on it. <laughs> Summer gets a little quieter and I think I, I owe it to them and me to understand more deeply about them.
2: Is, is, is it possible that they understand how busy you are and they in their own loving way are giving you the the space that they believe oh, in their hearts of what, hearts you need?
1: You know, they are such generous beings yeah. and they are heart-centered beings. You know, they pump like 10 times more blood per minute than we do. They're absolutely heart-centered beings. Yeah. And I would not be surprised. But as you were saying that, I did have one memory. Okay. Uh, my friend from Costa Rica, well, now we're friends, the one who owns that facility, she came to visit last fall and, and she said to me one day, you know, I think Ruby has something she needs to say to you. And I thought, oh, oh, Really? And so she said, could you just take the time to be with her? And I will say that Ruby uh, Ruby, let me know um, that she had been a, a children's horse in a facility with lots of kids and something happened where a child must have fallen, gotten hurt, and there was a lot of drama and yelling mm. and screaming, and that Ruby was um, summarily dismissed and suddenly her life was changed. And so that I did get from her uh, about la- uh, last fall. That I did. But I... But as you say, um, she was asking to be heard and and I and she needed it. And I stopped for that time and really keyed in. But, you know, they are so aware and so sensitive about us Mm -hmm. human beings. They they pick up every little emotion. And I think you're absolutely right that they're giving me this space because you know i 'm i 'm very focused on my daily busy life like many of us are, and their invitation is just to sit with them at times, yeah. which i 've done i yeah. know
2: we 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 have three little pups well they 're not pups, but they're we call them our little kids. My wife and I all our children are <laughs> are grown they've they 've left the nest and they have families of their own, so now we have these three little girls and i I know that they are super sensitive, I know they are super intelligent. Mm. I, I know that they communicate through their eyes, and mm. there's many times where I can actually feel them trying to give me a message
0: mm. you
2: know so I believe that the the bond between humans and our animal friends or animal i i I call them children is <laughs> is stronger than we realize, and I think that our arrogance at times doesn't allow us to open up our hearts and say, what would you like to tell me?
1: I am right with you. And I think in addition to the, the arrogance, because we mm-hmm. have elevated ourselves as a species yes. to somehow be better and different than all the other but, species. But wait, and,
2: wait a sec. Let me ask you this. Are we yeah. better? They don't no, cause don't, wars. No, no, no. We do.
1: This is yeah. the belief system that's in okay. our society. It's, it's I don't agree with
2: it. Neither do I. We're on the same page.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> No okay. no no. Um in fact, I mean my goodness. Um if anything these creatures are are sacri- self-sacrificing yep. to support us. Um to to help us get through life is difficult if you probably agree with that too. Mm-hmm. How much help they give us? Um oh. how much help they give? I uh, since you have three 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 girls yes. <laughs> at home. Um let me tell you my my dog story. Okay. Um about, I don't know, 25 years ago, 20 years ago, I'm sitting downstairs of a, of a three-story house, mm-hmm. and I'm having some emotion about something, and I am silently crying. There's no whimpering. There's no sound. There are just tears coming yeah. down my eyes, and I hear our dog, who's a half Rottweiler, half lab, 102 pounds, get up from where he's laying, and I hear his little paws on the floor coming all the way down the steps to the first floor, walks right over to me, puts his head on my lap, and looks at me as if to say, are you okay? Yeah. So there are lots of stories. Many people have stories about the dogs that touch their hearts and are, as you say, in their eyes saying, can you understand me? I'm trying to share something. And I feel like there's just this little thin barrier and that we're so preoccupied in our lives with our, physical ex- sensations, that we mm-hmm. haven't opened to the sensation that allows us to connect. And I do think it is a birthright for all of us, that for some reason I came with it, but I think it's possible for all of us to open to that, and that that's our evolution. I think that's the next step in our evolution.
2: You know, I've been doing this show now for 26 years, 20 guests a week, five nights a week, And I get to talk to the most wonderful people in the world, like yourself. People who have open hearts, open minds. And I have come to to talk to people who believe in extraterrestrials. They've seen Bigfoot. They've communicated with Bigfoot. And every spectrum of the paranormal, parapsychology realm that you would like to imagine. But there's one thing I've realized over all these years. Animals have something that we humans need and need desperately. And we can learn a major lesson from all our animals. They have unconditional love. Where we humans have yet to incorporate unconditional love in our day-to-day life. And I think that this is one of the major things that our animals are trying to get us to understand that as a species, in order for us to, to evolve to the point where they are. You see, I put, I put animals at the top of the pole and we humans are at the bottom. Oh. That to get where they are, we have to understand that existence is all about love. That they share with us the gift of unconditional love and we need to learn this and we need uh-huh. to we need to spread this
1: oh my this is exactly right and one thing that i have learned because these horses are are teaching me they mm-hmm. are my teachers is that when we get our hands on some animals we um we we break them. You know, the expression, yeah. break the horse, we literally break their spirits. Yes, we we do, do it with dogs, yeah. we do it with horses. And when we break their spirits, their love is still there, yeah. but but they're broken and they're in pain. And so um, they can't always be as giving as they would in nature be, give, be had we not done what we had done. So I have met angry dogs and I have met heartbroken, depressed yeah. horses who are not able to give as they would normally give because of what we've done to them. And that's the crisis. That's the tragedy. And, boy, are you really speaking to my heart right now. Thank you so much for uh, saying that.
2: I, I love animals. I, I truly love animals. Uh, I've, I've had the pleasure of working with the SPCA as the Director of Communications. I've seen animals uh. in every situation possible. And I've seen the love, the dedication, and the human effort thanks to the volunteers that work at the SBCA and other shelters around the the country, the Mm. inspectors, the enforcement officers, that truly love what they do. And I've seen the love and the emotional tie that can be formed instantaneously Mm. between a cat, a dog, a rabbit, a horse, whatever. It is there, and I think thanks to people like you, that this message will be, get across, be getting across, and I hopefully people will look for this communication, this connection, the next time they have the opportunity of, of meeting an animal. You and I will be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. Okay. Hi, everyone. Rob McConnell here, and I wanted to spend a moment on Internet streaming. Everybody has heard about Internet streaming, but not many know much about it. nation, like I like to uh, to ask you to be part of a solution instead of being part of the problem that so many people would rather do. If you can, donate your time to your local shelter, to the SBCA. If you're able to put a little bit of change into their, their little boxes that they have throughout your community. If you see an animal being abused, call up the local SBCA or the local pound or the local shelter and don't forget law enforcement will also act on animal cruelty to be cruel to an animal is against the law they share this planet just as we do and they deserve rights just like we have so once again if you're going to adopt an animal if you're thinking of going to adopt an animal give it serious consideration make sure you have the the financial means to take care of the animal, that you realize that this animal that you're bringing into your home is becoming part of your family. And if you're just buying an animal on a whim because you saw a nice little movie about a clownfish or if you've seen a movie about all these Dalmatians, think twice. It's a lifetime commitment that you're making. It's just like adopting a child, a human child, bringing that human into your home. You have responsibilities so please, think twice, and don't forget that the people at your local shelter, the SBCA, deserve a vote of thanks throughout your community. ExoNation Rosalind Byrne is our special guest. Her website is roslynburn.com and that's R-O-S-A-L-Y-N-B-E-R-N-E.com. And Rosalind, it's great having you here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Um, your your stories. Are just proof of what I believe in my heart of hearts to be the, the case, and you know, like once again we talk about communicating with with other species. You know, you watch all these sci-fi movies, and you hear these. You go on TV and watch the the shows about uh, UFOs, extraterrestrials, Bigfoot, and here we are with these wonderful animals that share this planet. We don't try to communicate with them. So if we can't communicate with those that share this planet with us, how are we going to communicate with those who don't?
1: (laughs) This is exactly the point I was trying to make to a proposal I wrote for the Library of Congress. And I think it was just a little bit too strange, but I was making the argument because, you know, they were looking at um, astrobiology and they were looking at, you know, all kinds. And I thought, well, you know, um we're spending a lot of money to go out there to see if there's life out yep. there are we prepared really do we do we understand about communication across the boundaries of species because this is a great place to practice is right here let's start with our animals yeah. we can move up to our plants even the wild birds you know ever try to imitate a bird call and then have the bird respond mm-hmm. to you i mean it, it is such a communicative place this this earth and we've limited ourselves to our species Um, I absolutely agree with you. Let's, let's practice at home first.
2: (laughs) You know, animals are brought into hospitals these days to help people, um, you know, uh, certain hospitals. And I know that the SBCA has, has animals that they bring into the hospitals that interact with patients. Uh, do, do your horses help people heal? And if so, how?
1: Oh, I've had three fairly profound experiences with that here, Um, with friends who've come uh, one condition or another, and I've said, well, let's see if we can sit with the horses and see what happens. Um, One person came who had uh, been diagnosed with lymphoma, and he was very sad about um, facing cancer and going through all these treatments. And so we went, Mm -hmm. he and his wife and my husband and I, and we sat in the round pen, which is just know diameter 50 feet and we uh, put Raven in there and that uh, we put some chairs in and we sat there and we just sat very very quietly and um, Raven went right up to that man right up to him and she spent oh I would say about 45 minutes um, with her nose rubbing around his chin and his neck and his head and his back and that man's wife watched in tears she said what is happening I've never seen anything like this. And I I don't know what she was doing, but I can't help but believe it was supporting him back towards wellness. And I don't want to claim, you know, that, you know, miracle Horace cures man. I don't think that's what happened. But I think that she was supporting him in his quest for wellness somehow around the energy he was carrying. Uh, and, and he's fine now, by the way, the treatment was successful and he's thriving. Another case is a friend of mine who was going through a terrible, terrible emotional crisis where her own children stopped talking with her at all, excommunicated her. And she was besides herself and she felt probably, I wanted not too strong to say suicidal. And I said, let's go in with the horses and see see what happens and we went in and we sat and the first horse just started bucking and kicking and running and like was like going nuts and I said I'm sorry to tell you but take a deep breath and know that that horse is mirroring what's happening with you because horses do that they mirror our energy and after a while finally one came a little closer and stood by her as she sobbed and released and sobbed and released Well, fast forward nine months, this friend came back last week and we went into the field because she wanted another chance to be with these horses. And and I said, let's just go into their space this time rather than bring them into an enclosed space. Let's go into Mm -hmm. their space. and, And if it's right, they'll come. They'll come. And so we put our chairs under the oak tree and they're about 100 feet away. And the more she got quiet... Um, the closer they got. And I finally asked her, what is your heart's desire? And she said, I don't know where this is coming from, but it's to be here now in the present moment. So I invited her to do that while looking at the horses. Lo and behold, here comes Raven walking right up to her. (laughs) Raven put her nose in this woman's hands and stood with her head there in the woman's hands for a few minutes And the woman said that it was an incredible sense of being absolutely in the present moment. It was like Raven said, if this is what you want, I will help you do this. And so, yes, these horses are ready. Um, Not only are they loving, but they're not judging of us. I don't have to think, oh, I gained weight this week, or I don't look so good. (laughs) They could care less. Exactly. all they do is check in with our hearts to yeah. see where we are and they mimic it so they can become mirrors and it helps us to understand ourselves more deeply.
2: Once again, <laughs> I, I can use the example of my three girls.
1: Uh,
2: <laughs> they they are so in tuned into the way my wife and I feel. If I've had a bad mm-hmm. day at work or if I'm you know, if I'm just plain tired, I get home at three o'clock in the morning
0: mm.
2: and I sit down in my chair in the living room and I just turn on one light And I guess I sit there and meditate and the Mm. three girls will come up and they'll, you know, they'll just kind of make themselves comfy on me and all three will put their little heads on my lap and look up at Mm -hmm. me with those beautiful Mm -hmm. eyes. It, you know, it, it makes Mm -hmm. the world all right.
1: Yes. Oh, that's right. And that's what they want for you because you give them such love and care. They want to do the same for you.
0: It's a lovely thing,
1: isn't it? That we can be there for each other.
2: it, It certainly is. It certainly is. So, what is next for you and, and your and your gift, and how are you going to share your gift with the world?
1: Oh my goodness! Well, um, well. I'm I'm struggling with this. I'm 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 not wanting to have to make my living that way because yes. I'm so afraid something will happen to it if I have to depend on it for my living.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, but I don't know. I, I'm waiting to see how things unfold. I'm going to get another book out called Walking with Raven because she's right. teaching me an awful lot about myself, <laughs> and I'm going to um, open the opportunity for people who would like to come and spend time with us um, doing their own inner work I, I feel like I'm being led to help people do that and probably offer some workshops at some point point. and then it won't be very long from now I'll be able to retire and that way there won't be so much pressure and I can just do what feels right
2: is there a difference the way that that your horses treat adults compared to the way that they interact with children
1: well ruby loves children in particular so she's just very tuned into children Mm -hmm. um and i would also say that i've seen my son has a unfortunate mental illness and sometimes is in a very difficult state of mind and i've seen them um, react to him as if wanting to support him so i would say um not necessarily. Some animals, uh, some horses are more inclined to to some people than the other, but it's mm-hmm. not a judgment. It's almost as if it's just, who am I most able to <laughs> support at this time? That's almost what it feels like. Yeah.
2: Rosalind, we have about uh, a minute left. What are your final thoughts for the Exon Nation tonight? What is the message that you would like to share with them, as well as any message you think that your girls would like to share with the Exon
1: Nation? Ah. Uh, So my my message is that I I think that um, this happening to me creates a, a, a model and a safe space for other people to realize that they have it in themselves on some level to feel and see and connect with other with other beings. I, I just want people to know that, you know, they're not strange and they're not. They're, there's nothing wrong and they don't have to hide it if they sense this and feel it. Allow it to come through because it, it is our natural state. It's who we are. And what the horse is, it's it's two mares, two girls and a guy. Um, they um uh, they're trying to help humans come back into balance. Is what I'm getting. They're trying to help us come back into a sense of being here mm-hmm. and full and, and and in the present moment as much as possible, because we've we've gotten so preoccupied and sure so have. agitated. I think they would like us just to join them in that state of being.
2: Rosalind Byrne, I want to thank you ever so much for sharing your time with us and your insight and your love for your, your horses or your children. And uh, please, don't be a stranger. Come back and visit us again. The door is always open. ExoNation, if you'd like to uh, contact Rosalyn her website is www.rosalynberne.com. I'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away.